Hello and welcome to Movement, a weekly podcast for South Aussie Baptists to listen and imagine together. Each fortnight, Melinda Cousins interviews a leader from within our movement and then asks them to share one of their recent sermons with us the following week. Welcome back to Movement Podcast. It's great to be with you again. If you're a part of our family of Baptist churches here in South Australia, you may know that every year around September, October, we host a conference called Inspire. And Andrew Turner and the team uh, provide space for a couple of days to people for people to come and do life and share stories about evangelism and church planting and mission. Uh, so if you were there, you are going to know my guest today. If you missed out this year, well, you get a little taste of what Inspire was about. So today I've got the opportunity to sit down with Warren Crank. Warren uh, was a Baptist pastor for many years up in Queensland. Yes. He is the chaplain to a rugby league team called the Devils. Mm. So he used to wear a Devils uniform. I think that's <laughs> yeah. awesome. Um, he has written a couple of books, which we might talk about. But uh, he is the founder and director of a network of simple churches across Australia called Red Dirt Church. So Warren, thanks so much for taking the time to have a chat with us today. It's an honour to be having a chat. Excellent. So, you know, as a way of kind of getting to know you a little bit, the question I love to ask people is, can you tell us about the experiences and the passions that kind of shape you and drive you to do what you do? Well, I I grew up in the country. It wasn't a remote place, but it was a a rural town. And um, little little known to me back then, I mean, like people in country towns, I just wanted to... uh, go somewhere else but um, when I look back now I think it was part of God's formation of me in uh, getting to experience life in a small place so I grew up in a beautiful place by the way called Mullaney in Queensland and then um, from that I worked in uh, a few banks but as part of that role I was in uh, what was called Queensland relieving staff which took you to a lot of um, small places and outback places too. So I spent a little bit of time in Emerald in central western Queensland, St George in southern western Queensland, <laughs> and again got a bit of a feel for what it's like to live in the bush. Now, I don't want to be a pretender here. I've lived on the coast and in cities most of my time. But uh, yeah. but they were really formative experiences for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I also have, from a family perspective, this is really my mum and dad, um, I went to the Brethren Church, which is, you know, usually a pastorless kind of church that uh, where people kind of contribute. It's it's a movement that's got its strengths and weaknesses for sure. But we certainly bumped into the Baptists when I was about twelve or thirteen, and that, that was formative too. So yeah. I have a long history with the beautiful Baptist Church in Australia, and um, have been a pastor until recently for for quite a number of years. Yeah. So can I, the Brethren background intrigues me. Um, my understanding, would this be fair, that what, one of the strengths of the Brethren is that kind of participation of, of everybody. So ordinary people, everyone kind of yeah, has a go. men really. Okay, uh, right, so, not everyone, I see. No, no. So, I mean, one of the weaknesses <laughs> of the movement is that it sounds very egalitarian, but in, in many expressions of that style of church, uh, the men tend to sort of uh, control and, um, and often... Only a few. Uh, so okay. so it, it, it sounds good. And actually, when you think about what it could be at its best, mm. it is uh, it is pretty cool. But but, but it doesn't always work that way. Yeah, which is probably true of all of us, that's, what we could be at our that best. That is true. That is true. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's my, that's my story. And, um, and why we went to the Baptist church, this is my mum and dad's story, was really about, you know, we really honour the Bible. And mm-hmm. so... 
Um, in fact, there was a period in the 80s where Baptist churches had lots and lots of brethren, ex-brethren <laughs> people in them because they, the, one of their great uh, legacies is, um, is really an honour of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's something I heard you speak a little about at Inspire in terms of how much we focus on and we love the Bible and yet the challenges of that for many people today, like you know, yeah. not big readers in our culture necessarily. That's right. and, so we might pick that up a bit later, but what else has happened to shape you? So basically, um, post, I wanted to be a rock star for a long time. And, <laughs> sort of and, uh, yeah, that, and that was helpful for me because I was an extremely shy kid. And, um, you know, not everyone needs to be a pastor. There's no doubt. But certainly in my journey to becoming one, mm-hmm. I look back and say, you know, having to be up front of people and do music, which was really a passion and compelled me to do that, also prepared me for some of the upfront stuff that that um, the pastors and public speakers do or leaders in general might be leading a, a large organisation. So, again, when, when I think about God's formation of me, some of those things that looked seem a little bit crazy <laughs> and, and childish in some ways um, – were part of how God prepared me for that. I, I married the wonderful Ellie uh, 28 years ago now, I think. Yeah. Three boys. And um, and the two youngest boys are, are definitely in that millennial bracket. So another thing that's forming me is the challenge of uh, spiritual formation of young people mm-hmm. in a hyper-pluralistic, hyper-relativistic sort of world. So... We might, may or may not talk mm. about that later, but I think one of the things that is, a, is, is has formed me as my own kids and the very different world they live in and what it might mean to um, bring the gospel into those contexts and to disciple people. Mm. I love that. I feel like I often hear people talk about how they form their kids as parents, but that, that you know your kids are forming you and that you're taking up that challenge, say, okay, this is my kid's life. How's that going to shape me and shape how I respond? Yeah, well, the um, you know, I don't like it. Like um, I'm in my 50s, so you know, I, I sometimes I wish everyone thought the same way as me. <laughs> so the challenge really is to say, well, I've got to get outside myself and immerse myself in other people's worldview and um and and my kids have been definitely excellent for me in terms of really coaxing me to to have to as best i can um have some sense of understanding and relevance um, to that younger age group and so i mentioned that you work with the um the football, you know, football chaplaincy. Um, so it's kind of that engagement with, I guess, people outside the church. How's that shaping and forming you as well? Well, that was very helpful for me. So I, I was senior pastor. I've had a couple of senior pastor roles in my time uh, with Queensland Baptists, and one of them um, was in a large church in North Queensland, uh, way up in the tropics, a place called Townsville. And um, essentially, uh, as much as I loved and love that church, um, it was a few years in when I realised the what was demanded of me um, inside that wonderful church was actually really keeping me from doing anything much on the outside. So um, the opportunity arose and, and, and God gave me an opportunity to step outside the bubble a little bit and to work in someone else's bubble, really. And so when, I, when you're a chaplain of a footy club or, or a school or whatever, you, you're, you don't control the space, you, you don't even really set the culture too much, you're there to serve and to learn, listen and be of help to people. So that, that was very good for me. Again, it's young adult ministry really, um, by and large. 
and um, it got me into the uh, worldview of kind of warrior culture, right. athletes, mm-hmm. um, and I think sport has a great place in our nation uh, for young people, particularly as a way of um, getting rid of some of that aggression where there are rules and you know there's a chance to do something as a team. So. I, I really see the value of um, collision sports, uh, <laughs> AFL and, and netball. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of collisions in netball, I notice. <laughs> but a lot of those things help people in a healthy way um, get rid of some of that, uh, some of the warrior that's in them. So anyway, I did that and, um, and I've learned a lot about from athletes who are very dedicated to what they do. I've learned a lot about what community can look like sometimes in some ways the bond at a football club can be a lot stronger than a local church Mm. and so there are things to learn and bring back to god's family from those strange contexts chaplain for the devils it's a great hashtag (laughs) isn't it yeah and that's great i love that posture and that's what we're we're keen to explore and um in our podcast is you know what are we learning from the context we're in yeah before we get to that, um, I want to ask you, you, I know you host your own podcast as well, so maybe when you're thinking about that, but particularly when we're sitting down here today, who, who do you imagine and hope is listening into our conversation and why, why would you think that? Well, I think what I love about the Baptist movement across the nation really is that it is, it is a grassroots mm. movement. Um, you know, g- Generally speaking, if I can put it this way, um, the Presbyterians and the Anglicans usually get very highly educated people because of the way they posture as a church. <laughs> Pentecostals generally, the entrepreneurial go get them types. Of course, all those people are represented in the Baptist movement too. But yeah. we do tend to be everyday people, um, sort of average Australians. <laughs> but I, I, I honestly say that in a really good way. It's, it's the strength of who we are. And, um, and so I guess who I'm hoping is listening, uh, are people who just see themselves as everyday <laughs> normal people, um, who are, you know, part of a church most likely, um, who want to move in your world and your networks in, you know, a behind-the-scenes way, not grandstanding, but really representing the kingdom of God and the gospel of Jesus. So if you are if you consider yourself an a, a ordinary, everyday person and you're listening, I'm glad. Excellent. So I wanted to ask you about what you have been kind of learning from what you're doing, but that might involve you telling us a little bit of the story of what, what Red Dirt Church is and how it came about, maybe, and then what you're learning from yeah, doing that. Yeah, well, Red Dirt Church um, brings together um, those brethren ideas, the best of them, <laughs> and also the, um, I guess, the, the earlier Baptists. So I love the Baptist movement in this country. I love our pastors and our training systems, um, but the Baptists of old were probably more raw and rugged people in some ways, and and really farmers became preachers and mm-hmm. and those sorts of things. Our movement, um, while it values and honours uh, people who might be called clergy, at the same time we're we're not dependent on mm-hmm. them either. So what I'm learning is um, the value of people who are well trained and um, who have ordained roles within. South Australian Baptist, for example, but also the caliber of some of the people in our churches who are well equipped to lead and influence and bring something very special as well. So what I'm learning as I get out and about is that there are a lot of remarkable people who don't have a title, who, um, who are 
not only called by God, we all are, but have actually quite exceptional influence and gifts. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, you know, I guess part of my job is to, as best I can, is to see that, to champion it and, and to encourage people like that. So we are a movement, uh, the Baptists of Australia, um, that uh, has a lot of latent giftedness and, uh, and one of my, great desires is and one of the things I, I think about a lot is how do we cause that to bubble more to the mm-hmm. top mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah obviously when we hear red dirt we think of that you know iconic image of australia and the red dirt and probably you know most of our churches here in south australia baptist churches are in the city not all of them yeah, no. um but so it sort of captures some people who aren't in the city <laughs> yeah great. so it captures that image maybe of you know what it, what does it look like um for church to happen in in different contexts and different places is that part of what you've been up to yeah definitely so when i was in townsville it was a large city a large church on the coast um i began to look at northern australia um and start to think well what would it look like to have faith communities away from the coast <laughs> and often in small places that can't sustain uh, perhaps a, a stipend for yeah. a minister or a church building mm-hmm. and those sorts of things. So the, the, the gnawing that began in my heart back then um, it sort of began to really burn and it's burned a long time because a bit like the banks, the church is in some ways abandoning the bush. Mm-hmm. That might be a bit rough to say and, but there is a little bit of that truth. For example, we have a, a red dirt church in um, central outback Queensland and the uh, Anglican bishop came there last year and said, look, we're not going to be able to send anyone here anymore. Now, they certainly didn't have a, a priest there. They only came every now and again. But even that was getting too much of a stretch uh, for the Anglican church, at least in that part of the world. So that's a little example of, of a general problem. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so all of these things began to come together for me in a way that I just couldn't forget about it, mm-hmm. and nor could I walk away from the challenge. So, you know, I, I, I'm honest about who I am. I mean, I'm, I have been a Baptist pastor and a stipend in some wonderful facilities for a long period of time, and I totally value that. I see the power and effectiveness of... Um, you know, the conventional church, if we want to put it that way. But I also see the raggedy edges and, and probably have been called to move more there more into them, yeah. in these recent years. Yeah. And I think what resonates, you know, even if, well, you know, I, I work in the city, but that that idea that there's just one model of church that works everywhere, yeah. we all know, you know, even if it's within the city, let alone when you're mm-hmm. talking about the bush and a different context, the church needs to look different. And so yeah. that's what I'm intrigued at, kind of what you're learning from seeing that, like you said, maybe on the raggedy edges, yeah. that those of us who maybe aren't quite that far on the edge can still be learning from from you. Yeah, well, I think the, the key to the Aussie heart, at least as I see it, is, is to be an insider in some culture that isn't necessarily a church one. So if you're in a rural and remote town and you live there and you live there for a while, you are an insider. That's yeah. sort of how it works. Your, ge- your geography makes mm. you an insider. If you're in a footy club, you have to be there, like as a chaplain, let's say, for about four, three or four years, or unfortunately if there's a tragedy and you, and yeah. you get called in. That's but you have, you have to build that um, credibility. And what I realise for the Australian heart is that the credibility, and this is borne out, by the way, in Mark McCrindle's research of a mm-hmm. couple of years ago, that the number one attractor to 
faith and spirituality is seeing someone who lives it out. That's for Australians. And so, you know, a lot of you people who are listening will be a natural insider. It doesn't have to be in rural or remote place. It might be in a neighbourhood. It could be in a school community, um, workplace, definitely. Mm. In fact, there's some research um, that came out a little while ago that says for men, for Australian men, the workplace is the place where they form their worldview huh? and talk about these sorts of things. So Hugh McKay predicted that would happen and um, and other demographers have said it's happened in spades. So if you're a, a bloke and you're at a workplace, probably for the other men in your world, that is where they're having their chats and working things out. So again, the power of an insider is very important to and a big key to unlocking the Aussie heart, I think. Mm. It's true everywhere, isn't it? Thinking about what I've heard from those people who work cross-culturally, and they say the same kind of things, isn't it? Like it takes at least three or four years to even get that foothold um, or just even learn the language so that you can start to be inside. And so what you're saying, uh, that term natural insider, like rather than trying to – obviously we need to go people to go to places where there's nobody – but where we are right now, we're Absolutely. insiders. Yeah. So then what does it look like? What do we, we do once we realize we're an insider? Well, I, I guess that I wrote a little book called Unofficial Chaplain, and it's only a little book because yeah. I wrote it for, for men particularly who don't read. I mean, it's, it's written for everybody, but yeah. it's short and sharp uh, for people who aren't used to reading. Mm-hmm. And, um, but in it, I teach uh, eight attitudes and approaches that are common across chaplaincy. So it's not just sports chaplaincy. It might be mm-hmm. school chaplaincy, military, whatever. But all of the things that chaplains do, which gain such great favor as insiders, mm-hmm. um, we can do too. And, and so part of, you know, what my little calling is, is to help uh, at least some people realize that, you know, with, with just a, just a change of perspective, you don't have to go and do anything mm. different in lots of ways, but just with a change in perspective, you can actually be a much more effective representative uh, of God's kingdom and the gospel where you are. And chances are you're probably doing really well already. So <laughs> again, if you take the Mark McCrindle research, um, Australians who know a Christian, the top five, this isn't exactly right. You can check it for yourself, but uh, top five responses for people who actually know a Christian, caring, loving, honest, kind. I don't know. It, it takes till number six before we get judgmental. So, <laughs> yeah, which is better than we think, isn't it? We expect exactly, that the people yeah. think of us as judgmental and I don't know, hypocritical or narrow minded. But actually, like I said, the research says if people know us because we're already inside in the relationships in the community, they just see us as people who are. That's right. And people who are generally people of quality. Mm. And uh, so don't be discouraged. Your role as an insider is actually strategic. And I guess that as a senior pastor, which I have been in the past of a church, I began to realize that, you know, people don't really look to clergy or leaders generally like they used to mm. with that automatic respect and regard. Mm. Um, so, you know, in some ways our role is becoming a little bit less effective, in my view, in our communities, except if we understand that mobilising all of God's people is is core to what we do. And uh, I think the pastors who are going to do best going forward aren't necessarily the people who are super amazing at, um, at preaching or evangelism. All those things are wonderful. But I think the best ones going forward are going to be the mobilisers <laughs> and... Um, 
And uh, that's certainly the way I like to think about what I do. Which is biblical, isn't it? Paul in Ephesians you know, says that the role of pastors is actually to equip everybody else and send them out. It's, yeah. it's that mobilisation. And again, the heritage of the Baptist movement, you know, the priesthood of all believers, it's not just something we trot out at a members meeting which says everyone gets a vote. Mm. Uh, that was never in the mind of the apostle, even though that is an application of that or an extension of it. Priesthood of all believers means that actually we all are people who can not only relate to God directly and personally, but actually be kind of a conduit mm. uh, between the world in general and the church of Jesus. So um, so you have that role. Mm. So connecting those two ideas, I love that sense that. So the pastor of your church is not your kind of minister or chaplain. They're equipping you to be a minister or chaplain to your street, to your school, to your workplace. You yeah. know, Because your pastor doesn't get to hang out with the people who you work with. You do yeah. and you get to be there. That's right. And it's unlikely that the people in your world are going to be impressed by your pastor at all. <laughs> um, and not to say that's not he, he or she is not an impressive person. Sure. But that's just the way Aussies roll. And th- this is why we have to think. And this is what Red Dirt really is trying to do or be an answer to, not mm-hmm the answer to is trying to be an answer to the idea well what does it mean to be an Aussie church and what does it mean to to be on mission to Australians a lot of the resources we get around these things are from the US or from the Mm. UK all fantastic I mean we know how you know awesome Alpha is and lots of other things but but I think it would be good for us to work a little bit harder ourselves and take the great work of Mark McCrindle, the National mm. Church Lights Life Survey, and all those things, and and begin to realise that Aussies are, are, are unique, <laughs> and um, and and that maybe we could we could work even harder ourselves at mm. working out how best to reach mm. the rest of us. Is there a story or two you could share with us of where you're kind of seeing this, you know, people having a go at this and what it looks like in practice? Yeah, so basically from – so my goal in some ways and my calling is to help people um, be an unofficial chaplain. So my primary driver is not church planting but actually multiplying followers of Jesus. So so sort of big part of what I do is to say to people, actually, you can be – very effective. In fact, you're probably the most effective person in your world that you're an insider of um, in reaching people. And for some of those people then to say, well, the next step really is planting a church inside that culture. Mm-hmm. So, for example, we have someone in Queensland in a, in a town that where park runs a big deal, which is true lots of places. And so they've started, like, you don't have to call a red dirt church red dirt. You can call it whatever you want. You're just part of a little network or a little mm-hmm. movement. But <clears throat> this one's called Finish Line. Okay. And the idea is that this person and their family is deeply involved in park run. They know lots of people. They're a natural mm-hmm. insider in park run. So at the end of park run on a Saturday, they hold a simple gathering um, – which is a simple church, really, and are starting to um, reach out to establish something inside that community. Mm-hmm. So that, that's pretty much an example of yeah. what, what I'm talking about, that unofficial chaplain thing, which for most people, you're probably doing a lot of the things great already. Maybe a couple of things could help sharpen you up. And then to say, well, maybe the next step is to, to start something inside here. Now, of course, bringing people to your local church is also fantastic, and we 
at this conference, the Inspire one, we saw some great data from the US, from the UK, pardon me, the UK, around the power of simply inviting someone to your church. So don't misunderstand me. I still think that's, that's great. But for some people, the next step might be to say, well, let's start a little church uh, here and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Great. Have you got another story you want to share? Uh, well, the other one really that comes straight to mind, pardon me, is um, a lady who um, used to visit some people who started a Red Dirt church. So she was already in their network. They already had her over for a meal. They all had young kids and the kids would play together. But they started a Red Dirt church and essentially on a night of the week, they invited the same people to their home, did basically the same stuff over a meal, but began to read the Bible and talk about it. Now, this person's in politics in Queensland. Politics is a very rough game. Um, yeah, we but, don't really understand it. <laughs> that's right. But this person came to a profound experience of faith in Jesus mm-hmm. And her own story, I won't be able to quote her directly now, but her own story is basically, in some ways we were doing the same things, but but now it had this intention of inviting God into what was going on. And um, because she already knew the people, she already really trusted them, um, they had integrity in their sharing of the good news of Jesus such that they not only found in her a listening ear, but... But God used it to bring someone home, essentially, into his kingdom. Now, other people, that's not the same story, so it's not like we win every time. But um, but it's really that organic uh, evangelism that happens, and this is the way I like to teach it, is, uh, you know, often when we're trained in evangelism, you know, we have five minutes on a bus and <laughs> we're usually sharing with someone we don't know, <laughs> And there's a lot of pressure. In hit and run approach. Hit and run, absolutely. <laughs> so, you know, in, in um, rugby league, sorry, South Australia, but in rugby league, there's this thing called a dummy where you, you pretend you're going to pass the ball, but you actually bust through the people's defences. And, and sometimes evangelism can feel like that to people that they thought it was one thing, mm. but they turns out it was another and, oh, suddenly they're surprised by it. Share and stay is really the the red dirt and unofficial chaplain model that, that you're you're an insider and you're not going anywhere. You don't have to share it all in five minutes. Um, God willing, there's time and space for proper conversations that don't necessarily raise a sweat or your blood pressure. And I think when we discover that. Those things are more possible than we think. Mm. It's it's quite a breakthrough. Absolutely, I loved hearing you talk about that. Inspire that, like from our from the Christian side, it takes the pressure off that we have to have all the answers and we have to have the the package and I've got to you know and just enables us to relax. But I think also for the people that you know we're sharing life with people. We're not yeah. we're not trying to sell them something. That's exactly um, we're just being who we are and letting Jesus be who He is yeah. in our midst. That's so good. And you know, one of the pivotal passages um, is is from one Peter when it talks about give a reason for the hope that you have and and you know the I guess the implication there is that probably people are going to ask you some questions. Now that doesn't work every time. So so sometimes it you know does help if you kind of prompt the conversation. But I, I think you'll find that you don't always have to make it happen. 
that uh, people have got more questions that we think than they don't know who to ask them to. So if you are in their world as someone who they think, well, they, they're a spiritual person, that they might be able to help me here, then you might find some very cool conversations happen uh, in, a, in a very relational way. Yeah. And probably the other side you mentioned earlier with chaplaincy, but I can see it happening in just natural, you know, workplace, life, street, is that the kind of crisis, you know, Absolutely. that if you're there and you're in people's lives and then they find themselves in crisis, they may well be turned to you, but they're not going to turn to you if you haven't built up that That's exactly genuine right. relationship you know, and trust. That's true. So if, if, you're, if you're just considered by them to be a great human being, yeah. that's a top start. And look, Aussies are pretty awesome and, and, <laughs> and we do generally care for people in a, in a crisis. But I think the truth be told, um, I, I talked about this sometime on the last few days, that Bernard Salt and other demographers are saying there is an absolute tsunami of loneliness breaking mm-hmm. over Australia. So... While we're friendly and g'day, g'day, g'day and all that, um, sometimes it doesn't go heaps deeper. Mm. And so, you know, this isn't the church saying loneliness is a big problem and Mm. it's going to get bigger. These are demographers. And so if we position ourselves in people's world to actually break into that loneliness and to to bring that little extra mild care, Mm. uh, that's going to speak volumes to people, I think. That probably segues into my next question, Will, because I think the loneliness, like, you know, my understanding, demographers are saying it's, it's you know, an issue in Australian society, but it's been exacerbated yeah. by the current season. Yeah. Um, and so I'd love to ask you, you know, what, what's, what's this year look like for you and, you know, what have been the challenges and opportunities of this particular season we're in? Well, one of the things about simple church is that it, it's small and um, at least in Queensland and in a couple of other contexts. So what, when I say uh, it's part of a national movement, that, that really is an embarrassing exaggeration. That's what I believe God's calling it to be, but at the moment we're not really that big a deal. But the, the bottom line is that um, small church has been able to comply most of the time. Mm. So there hasn't been a lot of upheaval because we are general, uh, generally gathering in homes, not always, but generally, yeah. and we are able to have that sort of comply with any space um, requirements and all of that. So COVID um, hasn't affected simple church heaps and heaps. Mm-hmm. Oh, Victoria, probably a different story, actually, <laughs> yeah, but, sure. uh, yeah, we, we take that. God bless you, Victorians, if you're listening. Yeah. <laughs> it's rough. But um, so that's one thing. The other thing is that we're already on Zoom um, doing prayer nights um, Tuesday night every week. And so um, we just were able to increase our Zoom, Zoomishness, <laughs> I guess, which was really, really good. The other thing, and I've been reflecting with a lot of people, local South Australians here in the, in the conference, that uh, a lot of good stories actually of stuff that you guys are doing. But the... Um, one of the things that isolation has shown the general Australian population is just how much they value connectivity. Mm. So um, I think there's been a quite a beautiful thing because I think there's lots of things we take for granted, hey, and sometimes when they're taken away from you a bit, you begin to see how important they are. Mm. And so um, another learning for me is, is to see... The Australian culture in general recognise how much we need each other and like each other. So that's been really, really good. Um, other than that, it's been it's been rough to watch um, church pastors and, and local churches struggle with it. And many of the listeners here, I imagine, are, go to a local South Australian church, and you know you've had a lot of upheaval this year. Um, 
and maybe for you also, it's highlighted just how awesome the local church is and, uh, and how important it is to you in your, in your world. And I hope it, I hope it has because, um, you know, uh, a lot of us have been enjoying getting back with our church families. And so let's be grateful for, yeah. uh, for some of the great things we have. Absolutely. Yeah, I think we've, I've used the language of like what this season has revealed. Um, so the things that we value, we've like, oh, yeah, we really value them. But there's also the maybe things that's exposed and like, like love to talking about simple church. Like maybe um, for those of us who are in more conventional or, you know, more common churches, I don't know what I'm looking for. But also maybe it's challenged some of the things we do to say, oh, do we need to do all those things? You know, what 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 do we really want to focus on? And yeah. made us maybe strip back a little bit. Well, I think that, you know, usually Baptist churches do local very well. I was fascinated though. I had a senior old in Queensland Baptist a while back and, and I had one church two streets back from the main street um, um, who asked me to teach them how to be a neighbourhood church. And I thought that was fairly fascinating and mm-hmm. honest on their part to say, actually, we're not sure how to do this. So I think all the data is suggesting that Australia is heading more nodal in terms of the way that we create community. So yeah, unpack that, what you mean by nodal. <laughs> yeah, so nodal means, like this is an example, is yeah. that within 5Ks of where we live, we can shop, we can meet, we can, we can have community spaces and, and whatever. So people are predicting in the future, um, you know, the higher prices of energy, um, the demands on suburban road systems, uh, we can't keep up and perhaps we shouldn't. So a lot of newly developed communities are actually asked, I don't know if this is true in South Australia, by the way, so just forget it. We can filter it. <laughs> yeah, is, is that basically they're asked to create little nodes within their planning mm-hmm. so that we're less car reliant and, and they want to have more of a neighbourhood feel right. so that you do have a local coffee shop, you do have local shops, you do have local fields and all that sort of stuff. And I think that's quite beautiful. And and so, what am I saying? Uh, I think the future is more and more local, local. So the regional church is always going to have um, pulling power, and I, I can't see that diminishing sort of super soon. But on the other hand, preparing ourselves for um, being less car reliant, being actually more part of our actual local setting, I think those things are going to be more and more important. So as your church, if you're a part of one, thinks about its future, that, that I think it'd be worth keeping in mind that that um, Australians are looking for proper community where, where they go down the street, they see, get to see familiar people, and, um, and I think town planners are starting to say, this tsunami of loneliness might be a little bit helped by creating true little communities around the place. That's great. You obviously um, love demographics and stats and kind of got your head in that space. And I wanted to ask you about a couple of things we mentioned earlier because, you know, church is, uh, looks different in its own context and it looks different in its time. So, yep. you know, talking about COVID, but kind of the bigger picture of the time we find ourselves in, you said you've been learning from your millennial kids, you know, mm. thinking about um, how people read the Bible. So what, what's your sense of, you know, the opportunities and challenges of where we are in well, this I, generation? I think, I think simple church 
uh, in the next 20 years will be majority church. Okay. That's my prediction, and if I'm wrong, <laughs> no one will care. <laughs> but the bottom line is I'm investing in that because I think that millennial people um, tend to be really tribal. They tend to not want to sit and listen to one person, but to discuss things as a collective. They're a little bit suspicious of authority, perhaps not as bad as us, uh, us <laughs> X, Gen Xs, yeah. but they still are. They still, you know, they still see public failure of, you know, politicians and all that sort of mm. stuff and a bit suspicious of that. Like, mm. who do we really know? Social media is also shown them that fake is everywhere. Yeah. So how do we find what's real? And, and, you know, so when they come to our churches, they, they probably have a little bit of a cynicism that's not driven by necessarily some negative spirit, but rather, how do I know whether this is what it really is, appears to be? So knowing people and journeying with a group of people is going to be really, really important. Um, depending on what happens, from a metacultural perspective, it might get a little bit tougher also for common church, mm-hmm. um, depending on how things go. And we're praying against this, of course, and I don't want it to happen. But a lot of people in senior leadership of denominations are sort of thinking that lawfare could be a big problem for the church going forward. So if, if, um, if there's preaching or teaching on a topic that's considered um, discriminatory and there's a recording of that um, then some of those liberties and freedoms of speech might be taken away from us so one of the things we have to be prepared for also is that um, either we say some of our messaging if it's a bit controversial off uh, platform (laughs) or we have to think about what are some of the implications um, of uh, some states are worse than others, for example, when it comes to um, uh, sort of uh, uh, litigious um, <laughs> sort of culture. And, you know, I, I often, when I mix with my national colleagues, I often think, you know, Victoria seems to be, you know, different from Queensland. Queensland's <laughs> definitely more conservative. Yeah. We think you guys seem different to each other. <laughs> That's right. And, and, you know, so it's going to be different in different yeah. places. And again, I'm not being a prophet of doom here. I'm just keeping in mind some of the potential realities of us going forward. So I guess I'd encourage all our listeners not to assume that everything that is right now will be Mm. in the future and to start thinking about what that would look like. So from my perspective, I don't see that um, as some horrendous problem. You know, Jesus Church has survived, um, you know, multiple attempts to take down. Yeah. Um, But... My, my, my prediction uh, is that Simple Church will be majority church in 20 years' time. Okay. Mm. Yeah, interesting. Mm. Yeah. You mentioned earlier that, um, was it uh, Rachel Jordan Wolf? We had sharing some yes. stats from the UK. And one of the things from that that really encouraged me, I think, was in all this kind of change and like saying, look, maybe the models of church need to change and the way we communicate, the kind of openness to Jesus um, that, yeah. that's there, you know, that, that sense that. Maybe we, as as Christians who know Jesus, are a little uh, more cynical or um, you know negative about what people think about Jesus and don't realise how open people are. Is that a fair way yeah, of putting no, it? No, I totally agree with that. And the reason for that, I think, is that you know our parents. Well, I'm, I'm in my fifties, as I said before. So my parents' generation were genuinely church. The one before, mm-hmm. even more so. 
So you've got people that have seen some of the best and worst of things. And it's actually, those of you who are in leadership of the local church, you know how rough it can actually be sometimes. And that's not because your church is particularly bad. I think it's just because people go through these sorts of things local churches do too. So sometimes we can develop um, uh, a wound and, and even some shame around the church that, that a generation that's essentially unchurched doesn't know. Yeah. <laughs> so, so again, and this is where thinking about how can we make our churches even healthier <laughs> is important because we don't have to leave the same scars that once we did with all the fights we had about this and that. And, you know, I've been guilty and felt like a victim sometimes in all of this too. So I'm not above it. I'm not, that's not what I'm trying to communicate here. But sometimes I think the simpler things are the less there is to fight about. And sometimes I think that the, the openness to Jesus in younger generations has to do with the fact that they don't have a negative church experience. So in some ways you're bringing the gospel to fresh fields, mm. even in old suburbs. So, and, and to, to, to understand that, that, um, you know, the Royal Commission's been, been pretty rough. And again, thankfully, from a Baptist point of view, our sort of, um, our flat, flatter leadership structures have meant that we've been less able to hide things. I think that's mm, really been yeah, good. So, so we haven't been super affected by that, but, but even I think millennial people don't really understand churches and denominations and. Yeah, it's all the same. Yeah, it's, it, it's not sort of something that, um, that then they necessarily find, okay, that, that's put me completely off. So fresh people, um, let's create healthier church systems and um and i think that as in the uk there's astonishing data on on 18 to 35 year olds i would honestly be surprised if that's reflected in australia so positively but then they were all surprised too. yeah exactly yeah that <laughs> so, was the thing <laughs> they didn't yeah so, so i think that's pretty cool so so there's a lot of hope there yeah. And, uh, but we, those of us who are the sort of the custodians of the church leadership at the moment, you might be one of them that you're listening. We have to be very careful about how we do that because there is a world to win. And, um, sometimes the, some of the courageous decisions we make about facilities and programs and things can actually open up a wonderful world of opportunity. So, so have, have a, have a sort of loose hold on things and and uh, and let some fresh uh, waves of the spirit move through and and we might find that in ten or fifteen years' time we have wonderful stories to tell. Mm. Yeah, and I, th- I mean I think anecdotally we hear them and for me it always affirms like why we we are surprised but we shouldn't be surprised because it's good news. Good. You know we've we've got a, a good news to share with people yeah. and Jesus is King and He's working in people's lives in ways that. Yeah. We don't expect and can't can. see. Yeah. That's true. And, and what also came out from that uh, clip from the UK was that, you know, and this is really what we'd love Red Dirt to be. It's really sleeves rolled up, boots on the mm-hmm. ground sort of serving. Yeah. And, um, yeah, we, we have our doctrines and they're important and it's important to say things. But what, um, what turns hearts and, um, even heads is, um, is actually demonstrated love mm. and um and the church is actually really good at that yeah and uh so again keep going yeah
Awesome. All right, it's been great to chat with you. Thanks so much for your time. Just maybe one final question. Is it something you'd love to leave us with? What's your, what's your final word for us today? Well, you live in a beautiful part of the world, I can tell you <laughs> oh, that. Thanks. We'll so take that. <laughs> I've been wandering around and, and I've been very grateful for the invite. So thank you for being willing to have me down here. I guess the final thing I would leave is a summation of what we've been talking about, and that is that, um, that you really do matter to the mission and that um, you don't have to be a high-powered preacher, apologist or evangelist. You be you and let Jesus work through you as an insider into wherever you are or whatever you do. And, um, and I think that the important stuff is going to happen. So my final thought is that I don't think the next move of God in Australia is really going to be because of some mega personality. Mm-hmm. I actually believe, and I'm investing in it, I believe it so much I'm investing in it, it's going to be a grassrootsy movement of everyday people who shine in their little neck of the woods and that um, in all these little ways God builds something that changes a nation. That's amazing, and that's great news for us ordinary people. We can be a part of it. Thanks, Warren. We might put a link to um, your book in the show notes and also your podcast because you're sharing some stories with people who are having a go at this. Yeah, so Um, I've got a podcast called Red Dirt Nation, and we're just getting going. But uh, it's basically sharing stories from around the place and giving people an idea of uh, what God's up to. Excellent. Well, check it out. Thanks for listening to Movement Today. If you enjoyed this show, then please take a second to give us five stars, tap subscribe and tell a friend. We are available wherever you get your pods. Movement is a podcast from Baptist Church's Essay, hosted by Melinda Cousins and produced by Ruth Grace and Kathy Turner. We'll be back next week with a sermon from today's guest. Music